Tag Box Talk, and this is Horse Stories with a Purpose. Who are we? We are equine educators, but we are owners. We are judges. We are competitors. We are coaches. We are volunteers. We are moms. We are horse owners just like you, and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose. Extension Horses Tack Box Talk Series, Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Heine with Oklahoma State University, and today we're going to be continuing our story of our late-breaking abstracts or our most exciting abstracts from the Equine Science Society Symposium that we had this past June. So with us today are Dr. Betsy Green from the University of Arizona. Hello. Dr. Sarah Mosteller from Ohio State University's ATI Institute. Happy to be here. And a new guest to the podcast, Dr. Rhonda Hoffman with Middle Tennessee State University. Hi, everybody. So we're going to be sharing some of the most interesting information that was uh, presented at the extension and teaching portion of our research meetings. So a lot of times people think, yeah, equine research is maybe on breeding or genetics or nutrition, but we actually do research best practices in extension and teaching. And so I'm delighted to have you guys with us to share your highlights of what you heard. So Dr. Green, we're going to start you out. What was your favorite abstract um, teaching us about extension and teaching? Well, one of the ones that I really liked was the, it was entitled Beyond the Ride the use of psychological skills training in equestrian athletes. So instead of training their bodies, they were checking to see how many coaches and trainers were actually training the minds as well. And it's, it was really cool because I've read a lot of stuff about this and you always hear mind over matter and everything like that, but there's actually some specific things in psychological skills training that include things like just imagery, self-talk, task-relevant routines, and confidence building and goal setting that you can actually try and teach, which is well beyond inside leg to outside rein. <laughs> and, and it's actually getting their mind ready. So it's pretty cool because they did a survey and over 130 people said, yes, they do coach. And about 30% were horse trainers, professional horse trainers, were private facilities. And then there were camp instructors, coaches, college coaches, and everything else. And so when you look at what they did, several of them said, you know, a lot of them were Western performance, hunt seat, recreational riding, Western stock, and then way down at the bottom were things like vaulting. And as far as numbers of people that responded, and I thought, gosh, if I were teaching vaulting, I would want positive psychological skills when you're jumping upside down and right side up on the horse. And majority of them actually said that they did use so this stuff already. So they were purpose purposefully teaching psychological skills or they thought that was a byproduct of what they did? Well, I think that they knew that they were teaching it, but they didn't necessarily say, oh, these are the skills that I'm trying to teach. I think they just knew that they were actually incorporating some of these things into the the teaching program so that the horse would have, the student would have the confidence to get the horse over the jump. 
that they were nervous about and things like that and prepping them so that they wouldn't fall apart, explode or fall off <laughs> when they were in the arena. <laughs> gotcha. So and, that, that a lot of these people, even non-professionals were just trying to, to teach their uh, instructees, I guess, how to think more positively. Is it more like sports psychology or? So there's, there's self-talk, there's relaxation, imagery, you know, picture yourself jumping that fence with a nice rounded horse, loose rein, nice jumping position, as opposed to, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that just, I mean, a lot of the stuff was self-talk and, and confidence building when they looked at the frequency of what the coaches reported using. So in other words, they told him to stop saying, I'm going to die and say, this will be great. And I will be such and such. And I will soften my hands and give a crest release or whatever the case. And so it was kind of fake it till you make it kind of stuff. And so convincing them to convince themselves that they could do it, even if they didn't believe it. And, and it was cool because I, I guess whatever happened too, when they described in the survey, some of the things later it came on that it described what this training was. And then several of the people that said, no, I don't do it, changed it to, oh yeah, I do that <laughs> from what I understand. So, but, it, and most of them, 52% of the people actually that used it said that they were self-taught and then only some had training. So they really didn't, they didn't really know, you know, maybe they were applying stuff that they learned from listening to their other personal improve yourself, be a strong instructor trainings, and then they applied it to their students. I don't know, but they reported as self-taught for more than half of them. Well, it's interesting because if you think about it, how many uh, riding instructor professionals uh, actually go through curriculum on how to be a riding instructor. So very few, I think really the certified horsemanship association is one of the, the few. And so it might behoove people to actually get some training in some of these areas that aren't just about, you know, do you know how to ride a horse? Well, and it's cool because when I was in Vermont, I took instruction, or I took lessons at a barn where the author of the um, brain training for riders actually was there was a, a colleague and a friend of mine too and so I, I was hearing it just because it was in that barn and so you know I can see where a lot of this stuff happens anyway and if anyone if you've ever taken instruction if you have a good instructor they're going to build your confidence as they build your skills versus the kind that like to tear you down <laughs> <laughs> yeah and they they may build your skills but you may be a mental mess when you get to the show because you don't want to make a mistake and because you're going to get yelled at and it's interesting because dr hoffman actually was uh, an advisor i think to that student that presented that I, I was, and kind of an interesting side effect of this too was that those those students that received this more more of the psychological skills training had a more positive outlook on their experience, and so by using this, you know, encouraging your students to relax at certain practice relaxation techniques, to do positive instead of negative self talk, 
that they felt better about themselves and they felt better about their lessons and they felt better about their horse show experience, even if they didn't win that day. And so to me, it's a great way to recruit people into the industry and also to keep your clients. That really sounds like some great skills. And I'm wondering how do riding instructors go about finding, you know, ways to learn about the, how to do, how to teach this kind of stuff? Well, I can tell you that brain training book is good. I can find that link that because that instructor, Andrea Waldo is really good with that. That's one way. I mean, there's all kinds of different opportunities and a lot of them aren't horse related too. I would guess you can go into the, you know, the training for whether it's people or otherwise, and still have the same skills that that you then apply to your lesson program or training. Yeah. There's, there's a whole field of sports psychology that that really would apply across uh, disciplines that I think would be a great asset for, for riders as well as uh, riding instructors to look into how to control your mind to improve your riding game. That was pretty fun. That was kind of a fun abstract. Yeah. And, you know, in this survey too, a great number, I think it was almost 70% of the coaches surveyed were very interested in gaining more of these psychological skills, education, and how to train their riders to do it. You know, so with over half being self-taught, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interest in this going forward. And it's probably an area that needs exploring and might, again, separate separate you as a coach and teacher from some of the others, you know, in other barns. So basically you can get paid. Basically you can get paid. (laughs) That's right. All right, Sarah, what do you have for us? What was your favorite uh, lesson from the teaching and extension section? Yeah. So um, one of the silver linings from all this COVID stuff is that a lot of really good Um, information became available online that usually is in person. And the abstract that I've picked to talk about is abstract number 121, and it's titled The Southern Arizona Equine Health Symposium Impacts on Extension Program Reach and the Change to a Virtual Event. So we did see a whole lot of programming move to virtual. And I know I definitely attended way more stuff um, than I would have been able to in a normal year. Um, And this um, abstract um, had the same evaluation of the event while it was in person. And then again, while it was online. So typically in the past, it had been a one day event and a partnership or collaboration between U Arizona Cooperative Extension and industry partners. And they typically got over 200 people annually. um, And the first one was in 2017. So 2017 to 2020, uh, over 200 people annually. Um, However, in 2021, they weren't able to have it in person. So they converted it to a virtual event of eight webinars over two days. And there's some differences in the schedule because no one likes to sit through eight hours of webinars straight. Um, <laughs> so I thought that that was really innovative of um, the authors that they they broke it up and, and took that into account because I don't think everyone did when we switched or pivoted or whatever we did um, to online things. Um, but 
the uh, authors measured in a survey how much perceived knowledge gain there was on the different topics uh, that were presented. And an interesting pattern emerged in 2021 with a lower change of knowledge reported for common familiar topics that like uh, colic, those normal everyday, uh, or at least commonly taught about topics. Uh, but with more scientific topics, the uh, knowledge change or perceived knowledge change was greater. And overall, the virtual event actually had a higher knowledge change than the in-person. Um, granted, the topics are different year to year, so I don't know how much you can pull for that. But I think it was a really great example of just how much we could learn um, from this different format and, and how successful it was. So um, a couple of other interesting things is we did see, or they did see, um, more traffic to the University Extension website, which is like, yes, lots of people using good science-based resources as opposed to some of the other um, information that you can find or misinformation that you can find out there. Um, and then they also had similar demographics as far as gender and age. So it was an older population, both in person and virtual. So I guess old dogs can learn new tricks. Um, <laughs> and uh, they had a larger reach. So people from Mexico, Indonesia, and Canada were among the attendees. Wow. I think that's really interesting to be able to go to an extension webinar and interact with people um, that may have very different horse care um, circumstances and, and learn from and interact with those people. So that was those, that's the broad strokes. Okay. So that it is okay to attend webinars for learning about horse information, but I'm sure that maybe the people that authored that abstract are planning to go back to full on person if they can. Isn't that right, Dr. Green? <laughs> 100%. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it was, it was great that we could do it. And I was really pleased that we still had great audiences and such, but the, the fact is there's so much interaction and just collegiality and education that happens between the, between the sessions and they get to talk one-on-one -on -one and they can answer their questions. Of course you have to protect from the, well, my horse does, <laughs> But uh, I, I think we had a we had a guest speaker. I think the last time we did it live, who was that? Oh wait, that was you. You came out and presented. <laughs> I did. It was super fun. <laughs> and and of course, we didn't have time for our edutainment session, which you know we did. We did a lot, had a lot of fun when you came in and talked about fitness and all that. I mean, what was your experience? You were there live. Yeah, I was uh, just so happy to see so many people there excited about learning about horses. So having, you know, a group of more than 200 people that were just um, in, in rapt attention and trying to pick up any bit of information was just really comforting to see because we always want to strengthen our horse industry by trying to spread knowledge in whatever format we can, including podcasts. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. And, and the other thing was, it's a lot more work to do it in person for many people, but it was sure a, a lot of work for me to get all my 
my, I have two veterinary clinics that I partner with and getting all of them comfortable speaking online in that format. I mean, some had done stuff, but very few were comfortable with it. And so we did a lot of practice sessions <laughs> just so that they would feel comfortable. And afterwards they were actually surprised at how, how nice it, you know, they felt like it worked out really well, but everybody wants to go back in person. No question. So certainly, though, for a lot of horse owners, um, if they're looking for a topic, I would encourage them because across the nation, so many of us educators were putting together materials to put online for education. So there is a wealth of information that is out there for people. So I would encourage them to search out some of these recorded webinars on university websites, right, so that you're getting uh, factual information. But between, you know, just the four of us here, I can't imagine how many actual webinars are now out there in the world that people can consume at their leisure. And our Extension Horses also has a YouTube channel, so you can find stuff on that as well. Um, and then I believe there's a bunch of university equine extension ones as well. And I, I go and actually I follow as many university extension Facebook pages as I can just to try to you know, learn from all the experts that are, that we have, um, in the U S. So it's a, one of those things that broke down a lot of barriers to finding good information and listeners, you can do it too. Visit all of your, uh, state extension, uh, horse websites. And there's just so much good information that's out there. So Dr. Hoffman, it's your turn. What was your favorite abstract from the teaching and extension session? Oh, thank you for having me today. And I, I want to talk about abstract 129, which is product testing as a learning activity within an equine nutrition course. Okay. And I'll admit that I'm biased because I teach equine nutrition here at MTSU. And, you know, I think like every other teacher, we're always looking for new ideas and ways that we can we can take what someone else has done and incorporate it into our own learning activities. And what I really liked about this is that this, this uh, product testing, what we're really talking about are feed testing um, as a learning activity and how, you know, how different feeds can affect uh, the nutrition and well-being of horses and then how students might measure that. And so this combined several things that were good in that it collaborated with a, an equine nutrition industry stakeholder to help improve student learning. And it was a high impact learning experience where students had a lot of hands-on engagement. So kind of how it worked is that students collected uh, information about horses that they had access to in the college teaching program and things like their current diet, what they were eating, how much they were exercising or being used for lessons or within that horse program, their body weight, their body condition score, like the fat cover on their body, and then some measurements like girth and length and um, neck circumference and cresty neck score, some general health observations. And throughout, I think, um, this went on for a couple of different years. So I think 2019 and 2020 students in this class were doing this. So two different years of kind of the same class, different students. And um, 
during this time, then they're learning, they're taking what they learn in class and then connecting that to how can I do this in real life with my horse at home? And what does it mean? So if they go, they went and toured the feed mill and, and learned about how to, how to manufacture this feed and the, you know, the science that went into it. And then in the second year, students were comparing two different feeds. And I thought one thing was really funny, especially since it was 2020. Um, one of the measurements that was done in 2020 is that they measured uh, like the acidity or pH in freshly passed manure. And I was thinking about all those recommendations, like don't touch your face. Well, you're not going to do that, right? <laughs> if you're doing some lab tests with horse manure. Uh, and so in the end, the students had to like produce this report and then make recommendations for their assigned horses, future nutritional management. And this ties in really closely with some almost something similar that I do here in my own nutrition class. Um, and so it was really fun to read about it getting done somewhere else. And also to kind of have that confidence that, you know, if we're giving students these skills and they're going and they're leaving that university to either go work in their own horse barn as a trainer or boarding manager, or maybe they're going to be a feed sales and technical representative for a nutrition company. We're actually giving them skills that they can apply to horses, you know, that are owned by clients and then make some recommendations. Now, the other thing that was cool about this is that there was this study included what's called a post pre survey and a post pre survey is done at the end of the class. And it, it asks uh, respondents in this case, these students to think back like, what did you know when you came into this class and rate what you knew about saying best management practices for feeding, um, body condition score, body weight estimates, estimation, you know, reading feed labels, balancing rations, et cetera. And then, so to take what you knew before and compare that with what you know now, and like a hundred percent of every single rating had improved and the students, as I read it and even listened, you know, in, in listening to the presentation, the students sounded really excited about what they learned and had gained confidence about um, feeding their horses. So really cool study. So very much experiential learning then. So rather very, than just lecture had some hands-on component. Very much experiential learning. So the value of why we have labs on horse farm, in case there's any admins out there listening to this podcast, which I highly doubt, but just in case we want to plug, hey, we need those farms. I think it's really important because I do, I do something kind of similar, a class long project with an assigned horse and they take a lot of measurements and workload and balance rations. And we also do feed and hay samples and send those off to the lab. Just like if you were, you know, an extension agent doing that for a client. And um, every year I do a pre-post survey too. And I ask these students, one of the questions on there was, is it worth it? This was a whole lot of work. Would you do it again? Or do you just want lecture with, you know, fill in the bubble multiple choice tests? And hundred percent of them every time I've said no. 
I didn't mind the work because I know how to apply that to my horse. I know how to help somebody else. I know how to look at a horse and make some recommendations and, uh, and make that horse better. And, you know, one of the things I always say in my classes is that, you know, you can't feed a horse to guarantee it will win, but you can feed it not to lose and by making good choices. And so I hope we're giving our students good choices and then they can pass that on into the industry. I really love that quote, feeding not to lose. You're welcome. Well, and it's kind of cool. The the post, pre-post survey, you think, well, why do you, what does it matter? Well, if you've ever talked to any horse person, say, oh, well, what do you know about such and such? Oh, I know a lot. And then they listen to the talk and they're like, holy smokes, I had no idea what, there was so much more to this. So asking them after what you knew before, you actually get a more true answer a lot of times. And then they say, wow, I learned a lot. But if you ask them before, oh yeah, I know all about colic or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Horse people are often pretty good at overestimating their abilities uh, and their knowledge level. So sometimes, yeah. I also think that, you know, true horse people, the best thing you can do for your horses is, is to be open to new learning because Science changes every day and we know more today than we did yesterday. And what I thought I knew all about, I'm like, what, what is this it now? And so it, to me, it's so cool because everything changes all the time. And even if you think, you know, a lot, there's probably something out there that's new and better and will improve your horse. I think that's a great point. And speaking of science and changing, the feed company that we partnered with actually used that data to help improve their their feeds. Um, So, and there's some data out there that's also presented at the Equine Science Society meeting in the nutrition section um, that it was data collected by the students as they did this project. So we were able to contribute to that knowledge generation and hopefully the the future of equine feeding. Well, that's fantastic, guys. Um, and again, it's so exciting that uh, that our colleagues are sharing their tips and tricks for you know best practices on how to do you know undergraduate teaching as well as our extension programs that target adult and youth. Uh, because I believe that it's always our goal is we don't try to put these programs on that are terrible, right? Because that would be a waste of time. <laughs> We're all pretty passionate about this and want to uh, learn from each other on what are some really cool, innovative ideas that we could try out on our own um, uh, stakeholders and, and students. Any other thoughts as we draw close to our time? I think it's just really cool that we're actually <clears throat> getting some of this information out to the broad public and general public, just because there's some really cool stuff that you can actually think about and take home and maybe even apply to your own horse that they might not see if they weren't members or in the academic world or re- doing research. So it's pretty cool that you're doing this with the favorites abstracts. I think that's neat. Yeah, everybody can have a seat at the table. Well, thank you guys so much for spending time with me today. And I think that will wrap it up. And that has been another of our Cat Box Talk for Stories with Purpose. Take care, everybody.
Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>